is up, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Beat the Maze. It's EMB. And it's your girl, Jaysha. And we have a special guest for you guys today, the one and only, my brother, Mr. Ernest Holmes. How y'all doing? We're good. How are you? Yes. Doing all right. Doing all right. Nice Sunday morning. Yes. Lovely Sunday. Well, real quick, before we get started, we want to make sure that y'all please like, subscribe, follow us on social media. We want to interact with you. We want to make sure that we're building this community together. We're all here to beat the maze together. So please do that. Um, all social medias at Beat the Maze Podcast. Yes. So something we like to do before we start all of our episodes, Ernest, is go around and kind of talk about our week and how the week's been. So Ian, how's your week been? Week's been amazing, actually. I had a great week. Um, I can't even remember what happened, but I just know I felt good all week. The highlight of my week has probably been like just going to the gym and being consistent um with my health, and that kind of sets everything up to be successful. How are you? Um, my week was very busy. It was exciting. I got some new tasks at work, so getting closer to doing what I really like to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but it became busy, and now it's like fizzling out to start of a new week mm -hmm. so hopefully we can get some sense of normalcy this week and Ernest how's your week yeah I feel like busy with work but like this was one of the first weeks that I had to stay in Atlanta for a while I just came back from like a world tour with um for work at like DC I went to Jersey and I went to Austin so oh wow I was ready to just like <laughs> sit in Atlanta for a little bit finally got to see like Thor in theaters um which came out like i think a month ago so uh nope is next on my list uh and i, I actually go on vacation in two days to panama so i'm like getting ready for that too well that sounds fun panama. <laughs> where my family's from my mom's side of the family oh okay. that's really cool yeah yeah so ernest tell us a little bit more about yourself and our audience who you are what you do and yeah yeah, so <laughs> my name's Ernest Holmes. Nice to meet y'all. Um, I grew up in a small, predominantly white town in New Jersey. Um, I, I bring that up to, because it's part of my journey into what I do today, I feel. Um, it took my first ever Black teacher, Miss um, Connery, who actually taught me computer science for me to fall in love with computer science and start coding my junior year of high school. Um, once I took that first class, I knew that that's the field and the tech industry was the pathway that I wanted to go um, go down. Um, next thing I knew, my sister was going to Spelman College, all the opportunities she got from going to Spelman, and decided to apply to this little HBCU called Morehouse College in Atlanta, right, um, where if you asked me in high school that I was going to an all-Black male institution in Atlanta, that was probably the last thing on my list. <laughs> I didn't even know what HBCU was, what a Morehouse was back then. Um, but after going to campus and seeing everything that I saw my sister got out of Spelman, whether it was her whispering in my ear and my aunt who also went to Spelman, my grandparents, like my parents, um, I decided to make the, the leap to go to Morehouse and definitely one of the best decisions I made in my life. Um, at Morehouse, you know, I majored in computer science and mathematics, I got a double major and um, I was very... I was made aware about the connections to the tech industry at Morehouse, whether it was Google or Microsoft or PayPal or Twitter. Um, there were companies coming to campus to recruit top black talent for the industry, right? Um, and I did everything in my power my freshman year to prepare and get an internship 
wound up getting the internship at Google. Uh, and I went out to California where I interned at Google for that first, you know, summer 2016. Uh, great summer, <laughs> um, but I saw what it was really like to work in the tech industry, especially at a major tech company, and wanted up doing two more internships at Google throughout my time at Morehouse, so three in total, and in 2019, when I graduated, decided to become a software engineer at Google full-time. I was working on the scene called Fuchsia. Um, it's a new operating system that Google's making. Really dope. Our operating system was actually launched on all, like, Google Homes and with the screens and all that. So some of my code actually exists on all these devices. It's really cool to say. Um, but a part of my Google journey is actually going, um, when I first got to Morehouse, I was introduced to Google through this program called Google in Residence, where they actually send Google engineers to go and get back and teach at different HBCUs and Hispanic serving institutions. So that's how I got introduced to Google. And about a year into my time at Google, maybe a year and a half, uh, the application was open for people to apply to be a Google residence professor. And I applied, and next thing I knew, like, I thought they were going to say I was too young because I just graduated, but um, I was selected to be the Morehouse Google residence professor. So I was actually teaching on behalf of Google uh, at Morehouse, all the freshman and sophomore computer science majors. Uh, super dope experience. That was fall 2021. And um, if I could teach full-time, I definitely would. Uh, I think the only thing coming back is that that financial component of being a professor, right? Um, and that actually transitioned me into my new job now. Um, haven't even talked about CodeHouse yet, but with everything that I've been doing at Google and all my experiences, and then also teaching um, through Google Residence and CodeHouse fits into this, of course, but they basically made up a role for me on this thing called Education Equity, um, which I'm a technical program manager now, so helping lead initiatives and programs for technical talent from uh, diverse groups to get into places like Google. So whether it's, you know, working with our HBCUs and RHSIs or people with disabilities, that's like basically my team takes care of all that kind of work, but specifically technical talent. And so now I'm helping like curate new programs and assisting current programs that we already have on the technical aspects of what the students should be getting out of it all. So that's kind of like my professional journey to where I am now. So I started that back in January, and that's what I, the work I've been doing now. Congratulations. So how did Codehouse come about, like, with this whole story? Yeah, yeah. So Codehouse is like a side hustle, uh, a pet project that turned into a full-time job. Um, we started Codehouse my senior year in 2019. And basically, you know, after getting my first internship at Google, like, I was consistently asked to talk at middle schools and high schools, community centers about what it's like being black in tech, right? Mm. And really encouraging students who are younger than me that tech is an opportunity that they should really look into. Not only is there the financial component, but um, really the amount of impact we can have with technology, like it's the way of the future, right? So like we need to make sure that the future is built and created for us and by us, right? Um, and when we looked at my senior year, myself, Tavis, who's a 2020 Morehouse grad, and my sister, JC, and some other students on campus were just like, what if we gave back in a larger way? Um, and we basically created this, it's supposed to be a one-day event called Tech Exposure Day, Codas Exposure Day, where we invited 150 middle high school students from the Atlanta area to come to um, the Atlanta University Center um to engage with HBCU students but then also we invited all these different tech companies so we had Google and Microsoft and Dell and IBM and a bunch mm -hmm. of other tech 
there. So it was like the intersection between high school and middle school students, our HBCUs in Atlanta, and then also the tech industry. And more importantly, specifically, we asked for black and brown people from these companies to come and um, represent for, for the students, right? So the students can see someone that looks like them, whether they're an engineer or a product manager or a director or whatever they are. And it was really, really, really cool. Um, I think it went very well, considering it was like almost a college students who put it together. And the students had like a design thinking workshop and I heard from a panel of black and brown executives and we had like booths set up so they can try the different demos and, you know, get the, the cool company swag. Um, and really the feedback from that was like, hey, we can't wait until next year, we want to invite this school or hey, we want to make sure that this class comes. And this is coming from the educators, this is coming from the students, this is coming from the faculty and staff from Morehouse, Women and Clark. And I was graduating and I was like, well, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to make this more official. So right. that next summer, I took time and like lucky or like very fortunate thing talk about things aligning. My mother is um was an auditor for Sage Texas for the last like 25 plus years. My dad practiced law in New York. Um so when you look at like who we need to help advise you to make a nonprofit, I have them like in-house, like in my family, right? So we decided to make code house into a 501c3. And so we officially were established as a 501c3 nonprofit in October 2019. So we're coming up on like three years, four years now? No, three years. Yeah, I could I could do that. <laughs> three years. Wow. Coming up, right. Um time has so that led us into sorry, what was it? I said time has flown. <laughs> Crazy. And it's like it feels like just yesterday um that we started everything. But we from there we had a second event, same thing at a larger scale for 400 students, and that was like right before the pandemic struck. Um then COVID happened, we didn't know what we we're gonna do. Uh, so we flipped everything to become virtual. And we, which was really cool, like one light in COVID was like, we were able to expand this effort nationwide. So we had students from, you know, Atlanta, of course, but back home from where JC and I are from in Jersey, New York, to Chicago, where Tavis is from, to Oakland, where I was living at the time. We literally had students from like 26 different states represented at the event, 2,000 students nationwide tuned in. Um, and it was like a virtual field trip. So like driving the going class, they came to our event, you know, like $30,000 worth of prizes throughout the whole event, whether it's like MacBooks and Xboxes and all this other stuff, but really to just inspire them, encourage them to come into the tech industry, um, which was really dope. And then basically from there, we always had this concept of just like, this impact was great and like a wide net model, like impacting exposed students as, as much as we can. But we knew that there was like more depth of the work that we can be doing. Mm -hmm. And when we look at like my college experience or any of my co-founders or team members' uh, experiences, we saw that students were dropping out of the computer science field or the technology like majors at high rates. And when we looked at some of the issues, one, students couldn't afford to go to college. Two, they weren't getting exposed to the technical skill sets that they needed or the professional development that they needed early on. And then three, they just didn't have a community of like, whether it's mentors or even a horizontal community of people to support them going through it all. And so that's where the CODA Scholar, Scholars Initiative came into play. And we made this whole program where incoming freshmen going to RHBCUs can get $20,000 in scholarships, a four-week summer bridge program before they even get to college, and then um, a mentorship program throughout their freshman year where they get 
a collegiate mentor, big brother, big sister, and then a industry mentor to act as like a, you know, guiding light into the industry. Yeah. And wanted up pitching it to PayPal. Uh, we got in front of a few VPs at PayPal and they were like, we'll give you $1.5 million for this. This <laughs> is crazy thing to even say, right? And um, that was like back in late 2020. And next thing we knew, we had these 29 scholars selected going to Morehouse, Women Clark. And that was like a real thing, which is like bizarre <laughs> to even say now, right? So we, that was our first four scholars. They did very well. Um, they're all going, they, most of them had internships after even their first semester. So I think like 24 of them had internships out of 29. And um, now we're on our second cohort of scholars. We expanded our efforts to North Carolina A&T and Howard. And that was and due to, uh, for um, Google gave us $1.1 million to help us expand to other institutions. And we have, so 43, and they actually just finished up this last week um, of their four-week summer program. I actually did that on campus at Morehouse. And so they were taking classes with my sister and um, we had another instructor actually from my hometown in Jersey. We had all these TAs set up. We had a program manager who was actually my aunt, <laughs> help out. And then like we had a residential director um and like i'm very like happy with how the summer program came out because this is the first time we did it in person last year was virtual and they got to go visit like microsoft's new atlanta campus they're supposed to go to google but we had actually a COVID scare so we had to cancel that but a lot of like genuine like community building like the students apparently were like crying when like students are going home to their flights and stuff like that to you know, one another which is great to see because that's what we like we're family family oriented with codehouse and like um, it seems like they're just 43 additions to the family. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Like, were you about to say something? No, no. I've been talking for a minute. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now you're all good. You're all good. That's what the people are here for. Um, you know, first off, congratulations. You know, we've known each other for about three or four years now. And I've like seen from the outside, but to actually see you, and hear from your perspective what starting Co House was like. It's it's amazing, uh, truly. Like congratulations to you, to the the entire Co House team, and to all the scholars that have the ability um, and the you know just the the chance to learn from everybody in you guys' network. So, uh, what are some of the things that maybe were a bit challenging whether it was setting up the 501c3 or actually kind of getting on the road um you know because you guys have had so much success but at the same yeah. time we know it's not easy i would say for me personally it's it's just what it's one thing to have a vision a lot of people have ideas all the time but like executing out those ideas and that vision always comes with its own trials and tribulations so like me being the president of the organization, just making sure that like if I have a vision that like I also help put in the scaffolding to make sure it gets done effectively. Um, so the one thing about code is like no one works on it full time. So everyone's doing this on part time. Um, and it that takes a whole nother toll, right? Like it's like <laughs> you gotta be very accommodating or being like understanding like someone has a job and like now they're like have a problem if they're finishing up for their real job. Like, okay, like they need to not work as hard on code house, but like we still need to get stuff done. So 
like expectation setting is like something I've been I shouldn't say been struggling with, but something that's always been is always going to be a struggle until we hire some full time people. Mm. And, and the people management, you know, sometimes it's like like you're, you're hearing like the names I'm saying, you know, that like they're close family and friends. So you're going to run into a lot of issues <laughs> working with family and friends. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, but always having some um, level of understanding of like this is the vision that we're all putting together. And we all have buy-in for this. So if you want to make sure it gets done effectively, make sure that you're communicating that out correctly. Right. And that's think those are still things that I'm learning right now to this very day. So learning how to make sure I'm effective, effectively communicating. And I have a lot of growing with that to do as well. So I would even say like the logistics of setting up a nonprofit and all that kind of stuff, easy. Um you, paperwork is things you can figure out. There's like a plan for that. But like when you actually talk about building out a team, since it's coming from your vision, like it's on you to figure it out. And if you're not intentionally working through that, that's where things start falling through the cracks. <laughs> so yeah, it's a learning process with it all. So what are the actual logistics of like building a 5013C? Like what do you need to do that? Yeah, so 501C3 is actually the declaration that you are a tax exempt organization for the for the IRS, right? So all a nonprofit is is just like a corporation, a, an entity, a business entity. So the same way that you'll set up like a, your own pork or your own um I can't think of all the different thank you, thank you, thank you. Um the first step is to set one of those up, whether you want it to be an LLC or escort or whatever, um, and you get your EIN number then you file with the IRS to get that 501c3 status. And it's as simple as like this 1023EZ form that you have to fill out. Uh, it's just, I'm saying it's that simple, but like a nonprofit comes with a lot of rules and stipulations that you need to uh, adhere to. So as long as you're okay with that. I think the main one that you want to always pay attention to is like the flow of income. So if you bring in, let's say a million dollars, at least the majority, so at least 51% of that has to go directly into the nonprofit, into the business itself. So not paying employees or staff or whatever you're going to call them, right? So in theory, you raise a million dollars, you can give yourself, you know, like $499,000 for your salary, but ethically, that's always going to look bad. And I, like, I'm always happy to share that like code houses, indirect costs, meaning, um, like paying staff and like all of the members it's at like 6.5 percent last time we did like our calculations which is super low you know so i always want to keep that number as low as possible especially when we talk about uh giving back and um but so once you get you file the irs then you either get approved or not but we're probably gonna get approved and put everything else uh you need like board directors you know you need at least a president uh treasurer and a secretary on, on your team to for the official paperwork and um and we can talk about like logistics and picking up board directors and stuff like that if you guys want to but um then every year you do need to submit your financial statements to the irs and there's like a long like form that you have to go through making sure like hey did you do this did you not do this did you have three board meetings like in the year and there's like a lot of things that you have to follow but as long as you follow those high level like rules and regulations, then you, you'll be good. Thank you for that. I wanted you to point those out because we 
I think a lot of people do think about starting nonprofits and just kind of, I mean, the internet is wide, but there to have someone blatantly write, write it out of like, these are the things, the big key points. I think that could be helpful for someone listening. Yeah. What would you say has been, well, well how do you time manage? Like, what's your superpower? Is it a planner? Is it like an assistant? Is it a calendar? Like, how do you make sure you were like showing up to your best abilities where you have to? I would say my my parents really installed a lot in my sister and I growing up. Um, I, everything, the person I am, the man I am today is because of my mom and dad. Like, they're some of, I call my parents every day, like religiously, <laughs> like, it's, like, probably. I think I've talked to my parents more than the average person does, not to their parents probably, right? Um, but from an early age, they always put me in like a lot of like, whether it's, you know, karate and soccer, my, my sister and I did musical theater growing up since like the fourth grade. So like, I just did like a lot while on top of course, maintaining like honor roll and like all that good stuff um, in class. So I think like the work ethic has always been there for me. And I'm very big on like, if I say I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna get it done um I don't have always the healthiest time management <laughs> um skills put in place but I do love working off of like to-do lists so even if I can turn my camera around I have like my google to-do list my personal to-do list and my clubhouse to-do lists and mm -hmm. like I live off of that whiteboard for the most part and then if I'm like traveling which I have been doing a lot for work like I write everything down like just putting it down and writing does like a lot right and yeah. so whatever that looks like for you I know I always carry notebooks around me I rarely use them like my google notes or like not my iphone notes app looks crazy with like to-do lists <laughs> right <laughs> so that's i think that's what keeps me sane but i like it like nice and quick um and i like to just always organize myself mentally i know like this is probably terrible but like i do it literally in my head when i wake up i'm like okay this these are the things i need to get done and it's been working out for me but if i was you i'll probably write it down somewhere <laughs> so then you you definitely remember no I definitely understand I'm a sticky notes person so I have sticky notes everywhere and like I agree with you you sometimes you just have to get out your head because yeah. there's a lot I call it like running tabs and we always have so many running tabs going on and you're going to overlook some tab yeah, because at some point mm -hmm. you have some so many things that you have to focus on or like there's that one moment where you go in the kitchen and you went in the kitchen to clean something up but then you forgot you left the bowl in the living room and then you get distracted with something else <laughs> I, right before this call, I was like, dang, I forgot to send this email out and I had to write it down on my whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write it down beforehand, so. That's true, that's true. So how do you work with, like, so for like that instance, when you kind of maybe, like, drop the ball in an area or don't show up to the best areas, how do you work with kind of giving yourself that grace to, like, instead of, because I think um, oftentimes people beat themselves down about things that they might mess up or you know, we're human, realistically things will mess up. How do you give yourself grace and continue to, okay, I might've slipped on this moment, but I'm going to come back strong and keep that work ethic like consistent. Yeah. I think it's always like taking ownership. You know, I think it's very easy, easy in life in general to like victimize yourself with different things. So taking ownership and like what you could have con controlled <laughs> is very important. And I think I've always tried to practice that. Um, and I guess, like, also just talking about, like, time management as well, just, like, having a full-time job and doing this on the side, like, really just setting expectations for yourself on, like, like, I know that there's certain hours during the day, and, like, I need to focus on my work, and it's very enticing, especially when I was a software engineer, 
Like you can't get me passionate about working on like a backend USB like driver stack when like literally like black people were dying in the streets. Like that was like 2020, like during the peak of like the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and everything. Um, and my like motivation was to work on Codehouse because I knew that that was actually having tangible impact in our communities, right? So, um. I think I also just recognize right now, like I'm 24 and I'm like doing <laughs> a lot, I feel. So like always like understand, like, you know, sometimes if I mess up, I'm not, I'm not perfect and being okay with that, uh, even though I'm definitely like a perfectionist. Um, and then when it comes to, <laughs> I had a thought in my head. <laughs> I, I think it was going back to just like balancing out. Like I, I do try to set expectations. And one, one thing I'm trying to work on now with Code House is being able to trust and dele to delegate tasks out. Yeah. Um, Cause that's something I've struggled with. And that's also another struggle with like running a nonprofit being like someone like myself. I'm like, I want to know everything, which is a terrible thing to do, right? Um, it does come with the history of like trying to trust people and then not being able to, right? Especially when you have something like, like a nonprofit that's like, it, you know, my name is like on this nonprofit. So if something doesn't happen well or doesn't go like the way I would want it to go, like it, it, it goes back to me, right? So I do have that, but I'm like trying to make sure that I delegate it out. And like, I'm excited for things coming up this year with Codehouse because just trusting different people on my team to work on different aspects of Codehouse that I haven't been able to focus on and like coming back and saying like all the documentation right now. And like, it's, it's like timelines and sketched out beautifully. I'm like, okay, like I need to be able to do this more. So um that's why that's what i'm trying to work on now that's like my main area of growth and it's like trusting people the delegating and trusting people to to meet my standards yeah it's actually a, a perfect segue into the question i had because you guys do so much and now you it's not only just co-house like tech exposure day but it's events and consistent communication with your scholars so how did you and how do you continue to um you know pick people to your team that will that you know or that you think at least if you don't know them will be beneficial to the to the organization i don't think that i have had some trial and errors there's been some people that joined the team and like you know it just didn't work out um and no this is also like a lot of people work on it out of passion for the work it is um and i think that's like another barrier it would be very different if i was like paying everyone full-time salaries and like okay not this year job right that's a very different attitude so i think the main thing i look for is like people who are passionate about this work and are willing to put in like their 20 percent of their time into code house when they do have a full-time job and also making sure i have grace with that because it's like dang like sometimes like things don't get done and i'm like we need this done <laughs> oh okay wait this is not a full-time job and like you can't like I, there's many days i'm up until three four just working on because i was working on google stuff all day and then i need to switch over to code house stuff um and i can't expect that for from anybody or everybody <laughs> so but, and that's it, it is what it is um but when i'm looking at a new team member it's someone first that shows up they're passionate about and like genuinely wanting to just help and a lot of people that they come up to me all the time like hey like let me help out like i want to help out and if I see that they're serious about it, because people say that all the time as well. Like we are at a party, I'm like, oh, I want to talk about it. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, let me know. <laughs> well, when someone like is real, real about it, I can I feel like I can discern that out. And 
then I might give someone like one task, like, hey, can you help us out with like this small project? And if that goes well, it's like, cool, I think like, if you can be in charge of this jurisdiction for me, like that would be very helpful. And then we can grow from there. So that's kind of how I've been playing it right now. Um, I think right now we're, we're looking at scalability for Codehouse. And with that comes with more team members and more fundraising. Um, and um potentially even looking at full-time people for Codehouse because I think we're getting to that point because it's it's becoming a lot. This is exciting, but it's also scary, I guess. Yeah. There's two two aspects of it. You have not only the community service aspect where it's the face front, but you also have the business aspect, which people don't talk about too often mm -hmm. when it comes to nonprofits of all the stuff that goes behind the scenes to get this rolling. Like and to keep it going. Yeah. To keep For it sure. Going. For sure. Fundraising, no joke. <laughs> and I think a lot of, that's one of the big misconceptions about nonprofits is like, oh, you didn't even worry about raising money. It's like, well, if you have no money, like, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> you can't do that. People get paid. Like, and I, I'm very, I'm very big on like people should get paid for this work. Um, even though like I <laughs> the amount of work that people do for Codehouse right now versus how much they get paid does not compare. Like they people put hours and hours into Codehouse, which I appreciate. Um but yeah, you need to focus on making sure you raise those funds so that the company can stay sustainable. You need to treat it like a company, even if the revenue is not coming from like customers or like people buying things from you. It's still like a, a real organization, a real company. Yeah. So how do you fundraise as a nonprofit? Like, do you just send a lot of emails? There's a lot of meetings or is there a certain type of kind of pathway, you know, order to things? Y'all see me on North Side with a sign and like <laughs> a cup in my hand. Um, yeah, it's we've been very fortunate, like like through my network, JC's, Tavis's, like having people who are connected in their companies to be able to provide funds. Um, I was actually so crazy. I was just got bombarded by two of my friends who were trying to raise money for something that I won't blow their business about, but um, they're asking me all my advice. And it's like, the main thing that people care about is buying into a narrative and buying into a narrative with a plan, right? So you need a narrative and you need a plan. So when it came to raising money for Tech Disposure Day, it's like, hey, the first one, I, and I'm very big on like, how can you have as much impact as possible with raising the least amount of money? So the first Tech Disposure Day, 150 students, the buy-in for companies like, hey, I just want your presence. If you can, I want you there with a booth. I want representatives, swag to give out. And that's like easy for companies. Like they're always going to have representatives to come and support. They're always going to have swag to give out to kids. Um, now, when it comes to you asking for like money, they're like, I, you know, I don't know where that is or whatever. And that's fine. But the buy-in was like, I just want representation there. And I said, but if you can, we need to feed these kids because it's the middle of their school day and they need to eat. So if you can help me <laughs> make raise money for that, I would appreciate it. And a lot of companies could, but some companies could. And I think that year we probably raised like three, I think 3,500 came in my head, 3,500. And that helped cover all the food. And then we got t-shirts for the kids. Nice, easy event. The second one, we're trying to get a little more like, hey, no, for real, like, it'd be like a, if you give us a thousand dollars, we're trying to have more hundred students this year, like, that covers food, that covers shirts, that covers like a bunch of other expenses, some prizes for the kids. And we probably raised like maybe $12,000 that year, something like that. 
And then when you look at the virtual one, I feel like I don't, I'm saying greedy, but it's always going back to the community, right? But I was that one where we were like more like, hey, no, the minimum buy-in is five thousand dollars because we have this platform that we had to pay for. Maybe I think the minimum buy-in was like maybe one thousand, and then we had like four speaking positions, and we're like, hey, that's ten thousand dollars, and then like the high end was like twenty five thousand dollars. And from that event, we raised like $140,000 for wow. all the companies for everything that we were doing. And it's like, cool. Like, <laughs> people were willing to put money in and like talk about the impact they were having. They're like getting uh, money for thousands of students across the nation. Um, and then, so for the scholars initiative, this is like a lot of money they were asking for, right? Like, you know, you heard me say earlier 1.5 million, 1.1 million. But when we, when I was breaking it down, like what do students need? They need financial support, they need technical skill building, they need professional development, they need mentorship, right? The buy-in and the number I really want to give each student was $50,000 in scholarships or 40,000, which covers like, you know, one year of schooling. Yeah, schooling. Uh, focus on that first year, right? Um, but we, we dropped down to 20,000 because it was like expectation setting, right? It was like, I don't know if I can keep asking for this much money at this rate. Uh, so we did twenty thousand. Um, but the pitch to the company is like, hey, we if the buying is minimum fifty thousand dollars, which will support two students and scholarships. So forty thousand dollars goes straight to the kids for scholarships, and the ten thousand supports like all the programming costs, whether it's paying staff, whether it's all the miscellaneous stuff, and like showing them like this is a plan, like these are our financial goals, and like having that all that written out. Um, this is the team that we'll need to hire for it. This is the exact programming that we want for the whole summer. This is that programming that we want for the mentorship program throughout the school year. This is the return of investment that you might get. So whether it's hosting informationals, hosting workshops, writing ventures, you know, getting resume books from our students, um, all of that is what was shared with the company. But a part of it before we even get to those logistics is like sharing the narrative, like, hey. Like I'm a young black man who went to Morehouse, studied computer science, interned at Google, was a software engineer at Google. Now I can say like a taught students in, in this space as well. Um, I, since I just went through the pathway, I have insights on what can really benefit these students, you know? And they like sharing that narrative and like Tavis sharing his story, like how I was his mentor coming into Morehouse and why he decided to go into computer science and go to Morehouse. Me sharing that my sister was my mentor, you know, it's a brother sister duo, like people love that narrative. So, like, sharing our stories, showing them how passionate we were about this work, I think it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't go without saying, like, the fact that we're not doing this full time and we're doing this on the side also plays into that because like dang like they're actually doing this out of the love for the organization not because i don't know <laughs> like i don't know i was gonna say felt but or like i don't know like we're raising funds for us and like taking up two hundred thousand dollars salary because this nonprofit's making millions of dollars it's not any of that it's like just trying to help these students out and open uh, paying forward and opening doors for these students mm -hmm. so I was kind of going all over the place a little bit right there. But... No, but no, you're I, fine. I, I, I was following you. I was following you. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I think that what I, I took from that was like one relationship building, but like That's consistency in showing, actually putting action to your words. Not just saying, hey, we're going to do this things for this kids, but like I have the proof. I did it. Two other of my co-founders did it. 
this is what we know we need. This is what we've done in the past. And we continue to do more every year. Like that is, that would be enticing to someone who yeah. wants to, uh, wants to donate and wants to be involved in this vision that you're building out. Yeah. And it, I would, I would agree that it also is a certain level of clout, like to the companies that first got in when y'all did your very first tech exposure day, like, oh, we saw co-house when nobody else believed, or y'all could say this company believed in us and nobody did like, you know, and that goes back into what Jace was saying, like relationship building. And that's, so important somebody told me one time that you make money and like you you get stuff in life based off of relationships putting your resume in is cool and you know you have your story but people want to feel connected with you they want to and that's how we are as humans we connect with each other so I I love it I, I love that too and this is actually advice that I always share with my students anytime I'm like talking to a group of students like, you know, you start off with a saying your net worth or your network is your net worth, right? So like the more people you know, the more wealthy you are. If you take that one step further, it's like, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. So the more people who know who you are, you know, that's that's where you start having a personal brand that you can start repping and other people can know about that brand. You take that one step further, it's who knows you and who could sp speak well on your behalf, right? Mm -hmm. So you always want to have a, a personal brand where like people are bought into your story. They're bought into who you are. So even if you're not in the room, they're speaking well on your behalf, right? And whether that's in a corporate setting or a personal setting. And that's why I always try to set that standard for my scholars or just students that I work with. So they start doing the same thing because I think that's what really benefited Code House a lot because people were able to speak well on my behalf, Taz's behalf, Jason's behalf, and we're not even in there, you know? And that's when deals start getting made and open more money can start to be brought in and stuff like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Ernie, thank you so, so much for, you know, allowing us to um, share a little bit of your day. We like to wrap up every episode for our guests with a bag drop. So if somebody was not listening, which they obviously should have been, but. they should have been, <laughs> but if they weren't and they're like, well, I'm just trying to wait till he, he gets the point. I'm trying to see like that, that one boom, mic drop, bag drop. What would that be for you? I almost want to use the last thing I just said as a bag drop. If I had to say one other point, and one thing that I think I, I, I live by is be proactive with everything that you do, right? You have an idea. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. Start working on it. Make a tangible plan to achieve that idea or that goal or that vision that you have. So that's what we do with Code House. And three years later, this is where we are. So I'm now I'm thinking about 10 years. <laughs> and it's like, dang, I wonder where, where we can go. So uh, be proactive, I think is the advice I love to give out. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us here. You guys can find, Ernest, where can they find you on social media and Code House? Oh, um, my social media, I think like Instagram is just Ernest underscore Holmes, but Codehouse, thecodehouse.org on our website or all our socials are just Codehouse.org on Instagram and Twitter, LinkedIn, all that. And you guys know that you can also find Beat the Maze podcast here on YouTube, podcasts, all social media platforms at Beat the Maze podcast. You can find me on all social media platforms at Jace Robinson. And Ian, where can they find you? Y'all can find me at a new at on all social media platforms at Ian A. Barrett with an underscore at the end. You finally got it together. <laughs> we had like three different usernames across like three. I was like, no, we got to. 
uniformity. But once again, thank you, Ernest, for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you in Co-House Excel. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. And we will catch you guys, as always, on Mondays at 8 a.m. Yes. Have a good one. Oh!